0: Well, hi honey, and welcome to another episode of Hello Mr. Burns, a research podcast where I talk about old school Simpsons episodes and how watching these episodes might make you sound smarter. I am smart. My name is Perry. As always, we're going to start with a super duper quick episode synopsis, list out new and notable characters, and then we're going to get straight to some good old research in Did You Know's. So today in this podcast episode, you're going to learn all about motion sickness and who exactly was the first person to vomit in space. I'm going to be briefly touching on the Iliad and the Odyssey. I would recommend that you check out Stephen Fry's incredible body of work for more info on that. And lastly, we're going to be exploring the problematic 1920s performer Al Jolson and how he's been compared to Iggy Azalea. Ookily dookily, let's get started with an episode synopsis. This is season one, episode three of The Simpsons homer's odyssey i defy anyone to tell the difference between these donuts and one baked today we start this episode with mrs krabappel taking bart's class on a field trip to the springfield nuclear power plant sherry and terry are making fun of bart for having a useless dad our dad says your dad is incompetent what does incompetent mean it means he spends more time yakking and scarfing down donuts than doing his job Oh, okay. I thought you were putting him down. And determined to prove them wrong, he shouts and waves at Homer while he's driving an electric cart. Homer crashes into a calling vent and is promptly fired by Sherry and Terry's dad. Homer searches for a new job without success. All he does is lie there like an unemployed whale. And feeling like an absolute failure, he writes a note to his family and decides to commit suicide by attaching his body to a boulder and jumping off a bridge. Whew, 90s kids cartoons, am I right? Luckily, Lisa finds Homer's note and the family rush to the bridge to stop him from jumping, but they're almost run over by a speeding truck. Homer pulls them to safety just in time, and suddenly he's filled with a new reason to exist, a reason to be. I will not rest until this street gets a stop sign! After successfully petitioning the city council, Homer sets off on a public safety crusade that involves placing speed bumps and warning signs throughout the town. Unsatisfied with his own efforts, Homer takes on the biggest danger in Springfield, the nuclear power plant. After Homer rallies people to his cause, Mr. Burns decides to end the fury he's creating by offering him a new position as the plant safety inspector, along with a very generous salary. Homer is torn between his principles and his livelihood, and he tearfully tells his followers that they must fight their battles alone from this point on. He accepts the job of nuclear safety inspector, and this is the job that he still has to this day. The end. This episode sees the first appearance of Otto, who I just discovered through Wikipedia, his name is Otto Mann. I thought his name was like Otto Mann. No, 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 it's Otto Mann. Interesting. Hey Otto, hey Otto Man. Hey, Bart Dude. We also meet Chief Wiggum, Blinky the Fish. Of course, Sherry and Terry and a bit of a baffling appearance by Smithers, who in this episode has been drawn the wrong colour. This is because when Homer's Odyssey was being produced, Smithers was accidentally animated with the wrong colour and by the time they realised it was too late to fix it. David X. Cohen has gone on to say that if the wrong animation colour in this episode bothers you too much, you can just imagine that Smithers has just come back from a vacation in the Caribbean with a deep tan. Okie dokie, let's get to some learning. Da, 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 da. Whoa! Although, in my eyes, every single episode from the Golden Age of The Simpsons is brilliant, this particular episode is probably one of the weakest of the bunch. And I'll be honest, I watched it and then promptly forgot about it. Education wise, let's examine something my sister suffers from horrifically motion sickness. <laughs> she got really sick watching Avatar in 3D. <laughs> Well, not next to Wendell. He pukes on every bus ride. No offence, At the start of this episode, Bart is the last to get on the school bus and he has to sit next to Wendell. Wendell is that one kid we all remember in school who would get so sick that they had to have their special seat on the bus. Getting car sick or motion sickness is a common malady. Your brain receives signals from motion sensing parts of your body and then your brain doesn't know whether you're stationary or moving. It's just, it's too much for your brain and it responds in the only way that our brains seem to know how to do in a crisis. It decides you're sick. Motion sickness includes sea sickness, air sickness and the spiciest sickness of all. Space sickness. No, that's not the sickness from Armageddon. Do not get me started on that stupid film. Space sickness, also known as space adaptation syndrome, is said to strike down around 50% of astronauts reaching orbit for the first time. The world recently just saw Jeff Bezos going up into space. So I'm really curious as to whether or not he was struck down with this. The cause behind space sickness is the exact opposite of terrestrial sickness. For example, when you get carsick. Your brain is having a fry out because all of your senses are screaming, hey, we're moving, but you're not. In space, your brain has the opposite freak out. All of your senses are telling you that you're not moving, but you are. For terrestrial sickness, you're often told to look out the window, to focus on the horizon, or just kind of look at wide open spaces to cure the nausea. For astronauts, they're told to look at a small spot close to their face. Often you'll hear about astronauts having to float over to a corner of the space station and just stare at a wall to try and cure the sickness. The award for being the first ever human to vomit in space goes to Soviet cosmonaut German Titov on the Vostok 2 in 1961. Before Paul Gurman, puking in space wasn't really a thing because all of our spaceships were super small. We only really started having issues when we started flying in larger crafts and the poor astronauts could see out the window. Again, remember it's the opposite of terrestrial sickness. The most extreme reaction to space sickness ever recorded was with Senator Jake Garn in 1985. NASA has since created the informal Garn Scale to measure how much someone throws up in space. I'm telling you, NASA has absolutely zero chill. The father of space oceanography, Dr. Robert E. Stevenson, has said this about the Garn Scale. Jake Garn was sick. I don't know whether we should tell stories like that, but anyway, Jake Garn, he has made his mark in NASA because he represents the maximum level of space sickness that anyone can ever attain. And so the mark of being totally sick and totally incompetent is one Garn. Most guys will maybe get to a tenth of a Garn, if that high. And within NASA, he will be forever remembered by that. <laughs> I, I don't know why this has tickled me so much. I think because I'm picturing this poor guy Garn, who is just doing his job and he's having a bad day. You know, no one really enjoys throwing up. And I saw this post on Twitter a couple of days ago that said... Uh, throwing up over a certain age kind of feels like you're turning into a werewolf. So this poor guy, Garn, is trying to deal with the anxiety of going into space, being in orbit, all of that stress, and everyone's laughing at him at how much he's throwing up. Poor Garn. Hey, Wendell, you made it, buddy. (laughs) The name of this Simpsons episode, Homer's Odyssey, Is a tribute to the work of Homer, the ancient author of the Iliad and the Odyssey, which are the two epic poems that are the foundational works of ancient Greek literature and modern storytelling. As with the Iliad, the Odyssey is divided into 24 books. It follows the Greek hero Odysseus, who was the king of Ithaca, and his journey home after the Trojan War. For the record, the Trojan War, Lasted ten years, and I can guarantee you that it was not as sexy and oiled up as Brad Pitt and Eric Banner made it look. The Odyssey begins with uh, Odysseus' journey home, which lasted another ten years, during which time he encounters many perils, adventures, and all of his crewmates being killed. In his absence, Odysseus was assumed dead, and his poor wife Penelope was constantly hounded by a group of unruly suitors who were pretty much kicking down her door to try and get her hand in marriage. And I'd be like. Why are you so obsessed with me? The Odyssey is regarded as one of the most significant works of the western canon. It's an early framework for the hero's journey in a narrative with some cool sea monsters and a sexy enchantress who lives isolated with her pet wolves and turns men into pigs. Um, I have recently tried to read the poem and uh, yeah it's not an easy read. Growing up in a Greek household I did have a bunch of children's books that were like cute cartoon versions of these stories. The real poem is actually quite brutal. The Simpsons does a complete retelling of the Iliad in season 14. So if I make it to season 14, oh gosh, I hope I do. I will definitely be doing that. For now, all you need to know is that this episode of The Simpsons has a hero's journey, just like in the Odyssey, but there are zero sexy island enchantresses. When Homer is rallying the power plant workers to strike, you'll hear Burns say this. Look at that man. He has the crowd in the palm of his hand. Uh, Haven't seen anything like it since Jolson. Al Jolson was the highest paid American performer in the 1920s and was known as the world's greatest performer for over 40 years. I'd never heard of him, but once I started researching who he was, I realized that I'd encountered his name for years without knowing. Jolson was a Jewish-Lithuanian performer and he has a super cool backstory where he ran away from home with his brother to live in New York City and he joined a traveling circus and it's just really cool. He made his career in the vaudeville scene as a performer who sung a lot in blackface and I'll warn you now that this entire segment has a problematic stamp over it. Most people recognize Jolson for his song, "Mammy." Mammy. Mammy. His most famous performance was the lead character in The Jazz Singer, which is the first ever film made with sound. It's also known as a talking picture or talkie. If you rewatch Singing in the Rain, which is a film about creating movies with music and sound, it's a great watch. Um, you hear them say this line. R.F., do you think they'll ever really use it? I doubt it. The Warner Brothers are making a whole talking picture with this gadget. The Jazz Singer. They'll lose their shirts. So some historians say that this is not quite right, that the Jazz Singer was not the first talkie, because a year prior, Jolson had made another film called A Plantation Act. Problematic. That was a short film. It doesn't really count. And if you want to get super technical, A Plantation Act was the first ever music video. Next time you're at Pub Trivia or you want to impress that date, the first ever line uttered in a film in history was Jolson's line here. Wait a minute, I tell you, you ain't heard nothing. You want to hear Alright, hold, hold on. It was also improvised. Impressive. The interesting thing about Jolson is that it's a little bit difficult to class him as a villain or a hero in history. Because who doesn't love a good gossip sesh? Let's have a look at what makes him a villain. As I said, straight off the bat, he made his money off performing in blackface, problematic. He was also known to be, as most Hollywood actors were in those times, a bit of a dick. Reportedly at one time, he was one of the most dislikable people in show business. He was described as egotistical, insecure, profane and abusive. During Broadway performances, he had this stunt where he'd walk out on stage and interrupt whatever performer was out there And asked the audience if they only wanted to hear him sing. He was also said to be deeply insecure as a performer, which I'll butt in right now and say what performer or artist isn't? I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. According to his contemporary Groucho Marx, Jolson was so insecure that he would leave the water running in his dressing room during live appearances, so he couldn't hear the applause for the previous acts. Now let's have a look at the good stuff he did. As someone who was marginalized for being Jewish, Jolson is someone who went out of his way to break down the norm at the time by insisting on hiring and the fair treatment of African-Americans. Jolson is someone who went out of his way to break the norm at the time by insisting on the hiring and fair treatment of African-Americans. This was so outlandish at the time. If you wanna get an idea of how crazy things were when Jolson was hitting the stage in the 1920s, his career peaked in that nugget of time, just after the First World War, right before the Great Depression and smack bang around the time that Jazz was entering the scene. There was prohibition in America and women had only just gained the right to vote in 1919. America still had some pretty hardcore segregation happening at the time. It was actually estimated that members of the KKK accounted for about 15% of the US's voting age population. If we go even further down um, dark history, there was a 1920s lynching where Three African-American circus performers were falsely accused and then publicly lynched. The anti-lynching legislation only came in a year later in 1921. What I'm trying to say is that around this time when Al Jolson was hitting the stage, it was not a great time to be a minority, or a woman for that matter. Ironically, given today's perception of him, in amongst all this madness, Jolson was an early crusader for the rights of African-Americans in show business. As for his blackface persona, which seems to almost literally fly in the face of his apparent true feelings on race, this persona has been touted as a means to introduce white audiences to black culture. As the St. James Encyclopedia of Pop Culture says, Almost single-handedly, Jolson helped to introduce African-American musical innovations like jazz, ragtime, and the blues to white audiences. He's often compared to performers like Elvis, you know, that whole African-American influenced music being introduced to a white audience. And there was one lonely academic that I came across that said that Jolson was the Iggy Azalea of the 1920s. Just going to say this now, I think that's a bridge too far. Offstage, Jolson was a campaigner for racial equality. He was instrumental in helping to promote black playwright Garland Anderson's work, which actually resulted in the first Broadway production with an all black cast. He also attempted to have an all black dance team featured in a Broadway show. This was at a time when black people were completely banned from Broadway productions. There was another time where Jolson read that songwriters Sissel and Yubi had been thrown out of a restaurant because of their race. When he heard this, he tracked the pair down and he took them out to dinner and reportedly told them, I will punch anyone in the nose who tries to kick us out. Yeah, Jolson, whoop whoop! Uh, I don't think that Mr Burns referencing Al Jolson in this scene is a throwback to that nasty time in history with blackface and vaudeville performances. I think the writers were literally just making fun of the fact that Burns was alive in the 1920s. But I just think that Jolson's an interesting cultural figure. And on that note, we finish up episode 3 of The Simpsons, Home as Odyssey. Next week I'll be covering episode 4, There's No Disgrace Like Home, an early exploration of The Simpsons getting family therapy, the history of aversion therapy, and Marge getting neck-level sloppy drunk at a company picnic. I mean, who hasn't? Cheese. Found Slay Queen, Hunty Mama, and Oop Daddy work. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And as always, keep watching the ski.